0: welcome back to the show friends today we're talking all about muscle the organ of longevity as it is being called these days i love that term because i do think that muscle is not just for meatheads long gone are the days where muscle was just for the bros and the bro splits and all of that stuff we now know the research is incredible that muscle truly is the organ of longevity, the more you can hold onto it, it's an appreciating asset. It's gonna look after you if you look after it. It's gonna help with your brain health, healthy aging. It's a glucose sink, because when you eat carbohydrates, they have to go somewhere, right? They break down into glycogen and they're either gonna get stored in the muscle. when the muscle is full, they're gonna get stored in the liver. And when the liver is full, they're gonna spill over and get stored as body fat. So if you have more muscle, you have more capacity to store more carbohydrates if you are eating those on an animal-based diet, your fruit, your raw milk, etc. Muscle is pro-metabolic. What that means essentially is muscle, adding muscle to your frame will actually speed up your metabolism. It will increase your BMI, your basal metabolic rate. And what that will mean is you'll burn more calories at rest. And where will those calories come from? Your body fat. So you start to see this inverse relationship, a uh, positive one, and uh, the, the muscle goes up, the body fat comes down. It's pretty much what everybody wants. We don't wanna be skinny fat. We don't wanna be overly fat. And we certainly don't want a lot of visceral fat hiding around our organs. And if we can build some muscle, we'll often offset that. A little bit more muscle and a little bit less body fat will radically change somebody's body composition. This is known as recompositioning. When people say they want to look better, that's ultimately what they want in a nutshell. A little more muscle, a little less fat, they're going to look really good. So it's a pro-metabolic tissue. It speeds up your metabolism. And muscle is interesting because it acts like a battery. It's literally a source of energy muscle is cells and those cells you have to earn them I mean, we're going to talk about how you do that but they have a large capacity to hold cells that also contain mitochondria so as you build more muscle you essentially can generate new mitochondria and then you're going to get that currency of energy that atp the adenosine triphosphate so it's more muscle more energy much working like a battery muscle gives you confidence muscle gives you a functional body which is fun to be in its form its function it's going to protect you You know, one of the the key things, and I've got a quote here from a study, which is kind of um, scary, but also motivating as to why building muscle is so important is... One of the number one reasons our elderly populations end up getting injured or in the hospital uh, after the age of 60 is they fall over and they break a hip. And then that leads to all kinds of complications. And sadly and tragically, in some cases, they never end up leaving the hospital. The more you have muscle on your body, the more you're going to stave off things like sarcopenia and bone density loss. And this uh, there's a longevity test basically for as long as you can get up and down off the ground without using your hands, which is going to require coordination and balance, but also functional muscle mass the longer and healthier you are going to live. Other indicators like that too, your grip strength is an indicator of your total lifespan expectancy. So let, I wanna read you something here from a study that I pulled up on PubMed this morning. It said, one of the most striking effects of age is the involuntary loss of muscle mass. So the involuntary loss. Um, strength function, and it's a term called sarcopenia. Muscle mass decreases approximately three to 8% per decade after the age of 30. And this rate of decline is even higher after the age of 60, where it drops off a cliff, essentially. So this involuntary loss of muscle mass, strength, and function is a fundamental cause of and contributor to disability in older people. This is because sarcopenia increases the risk of falls and vulnerability to injury and consequently can lead to a functional dependence and lifelong disability. A decrease in muscle mass is also accompanied by a progressive increase in fat mass and consequently changes in body composition. It's associated with an increased incidence of insulin resistance in the elderly. Furthermore, Bone density decreases, joint stiffness increases, and there is a small reduction in stature known as kyphosis. Think about like rounded, you start to shrink as gravity takes its toll on you. All of these changes have probable implications for several conditions, including type two diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and osteoporosis. So none of that is good. And that's really why the motivation and focusing on muscle here is uh, the topic of today, because again, looking good aside, this kind of LGN, look good naked, feel good in your body, have form and function, have fun, have a skeleton that you can use to hike and play and fight and do whatever else that it is that you do is wonderful. But I'm also trying to think of how we get people living good, healthy lives for the long run and investing in your muscle now is going to pay off massively because as you just heard from that study, there are all kinds of problems that arise with this involuntary muscle mass loss that will happen to all of us unless we are paying very, very close attention to how we move, resistance training, how we eat, et cetera. And I want you all, I think it's a Peter Atia term where he says he's getting people ready for the centenarian Olympics. Like what do you want to be doing when you are 100 years old? And guess what? You won't be doing anything when you're 100 years old unless you have some functional muscle mass and you protect your skeleton and you invest in this asset now. So it really is an asset. I want you to see it that way. And it's an asset that compounds and appreciates over time. It's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort and some hard work to acquire it. But as long as you then maintain it with some of the things we talk about today, it is going to look after you for an awful long time. So that's why you want muscle. Everybody wants more muscle. I'm convinced of that. I mean, some of the extreme ends of the spectrum, you know, the the bros, the anabolic steroid abusers and things. That's not really the podcast for them. This is for the average person who's looking to live a radical life. And we could all do with putting a bit more muscle on our bodies. Because just like me, if you're over the age of 30, it starts to get increasingly more difficult every decade to the point where around your 50s, 60s, it drops off a cliff. And that could be because of other things like changes in testosterone and adaptive hormones as well. And just father time catches up to all of us. So the more we can protect that now, the more it's going to protect us in the long run. And some of the common mistakes that people are making, which is (laughs) creating resistance to their ability to build muscle. And the number one um, kind of most obvious thing here is the diet. So they're either under eating protein or they're under eating total calories. Let's focus on protein first, because not only is this so well kind of meshed in with the animal-based framework of dieting for longevity and for health and for blood sugar balance and for feeling good and for keeping your hunger in check. But it's also one of the major contributors to your ability to build muscle. So what's really crazy is if you feed somebody, you know, the fasted from overnight and you feed them 30 grams of protein, um, whether that's from food or from a mix of food and liquids or supplements or whatever it is, you'll see mus- muscle protein synthesis increase, which essentially means that that's the signal to build muscle. And what's really crazy is you can build muscle absent resistance training to a point. Like if you take somebody that's never done resistance training, has been on the standard American diet for most of their life, and they're massively under eating protein, which is the case for most people, you'll actually help them build muscle absent any training just by feeding them adequate amounts of protein you want to split that up over the day ideally as we get into some of the nuances here i'm going to be talking about like how to supercharge this process um, so there'll be some balance in acts in terms of your life and how you approach this but in an ideal world you want a really good muscle protein th- synthesis stimulus throughout the day evenly split roughly. So what that means is if your goal is to optimize for muscle mass gain, you don't necessarily wanna be doing something like OMAD because firstly, it's gonna be very hard to get an adequate amount of protein and that is very hard to get an adequate amount of calories in one meal a day. You might wanna split that up into... Four three meals a day, something like that. Ideally, what the research indicates that the optimal split is probably four to five meals per day. So you're getting this constant adequate stimulus of muscle protein th- synthesis all day long. And what we're shooting for, which is something you've heard me say time and time again, is about one gram per pound of your body weight. So if you're a 150 pounds, you're shooting for about 150 grams of protein. All the usual caveats apply here. We're going for good quality animal-based protein. We're going for the best source of that protein that we can possibly find, the most delicious that just so happens to be some of our favorite foods. We're looking at red meat and animal protein. We're looking at our eggs. We're looking at protein that comes from well sourced dairy. So all of the stuff that you're very familiar with. But again, in my experience, most people aren't getting enough. And then there's things we can do here. You know, we can close the gap if you know your goal is 150 grams. And you can comfortably eat 110, 120 per day, and that's where you're falling. But you know that ideal number to spur on your health and longevity, and help with this goal of building some muscle. So you need to close the gap. Though you've got about a 30 gap window. This is where supplements can come in, and they can be useful. I think quality is very important here. So we'd be talking a protein supplement, right? Because Most standard protein supplements are gonna be about 20 to 25 grams of protein. And then you could mix that with milk and you could get an extra 10 grams of protein. So there you are, you have your 35 grams of extra protein and now you hit your target goal. I think an important point to consider here is that not all protein is created equal. There is a lot of junk on the market. There's a lot of artificial ingredients, colors, flavorings, preservatives. I mean, just look at the flavors of them. You've got, you know, honey, swirl, nut, butter, cookie, peanut butter protein cup. Like these are delicious, but the reason they're delicious is because they have a lot of things in that we can't pronounce and probably aren't ideal for us to get the cleanest source of protein that we can. So always food first, always build your foundation on food first. And if you need to add in a protein supplement, go for it, but seek something that is nice, organic, ideally grass-fed way at the very least. There are beef protein isolates out there now because some people will struggle with whey. And I think the reason some people struggle with whey is because it's not good quality whey. It's usually the leftover from cheese manufacturing, for example, and it might not even be the whey. It might be all the other stuff that comes with it, the artificial sweeteners that they're using, for example. But you could try a beef protein isolate. There is a couple of companies now that do like a goat whey and goat whey is known to be an A2, A2 protein, which can be easier on some people's digestion. So if you need to do a protein supplement, Look for something that is really quality. You're going to have to spend a little bit more money for quality. But the good news for that is if you are following an animal-based diet framework, your dependence upon shakes and powders and proteins is going to be massively reduced. And hopefully you don't even need these every day. It might be... You know, Monday through Friday when work is really busy and you know you've got a particularly hectic day that this is really beneficial for you to sneak one in every now and then to help you close that gap on the number. But ideally food first and then when you turn to supplements, turn to something quality. So we have to get adequate protein. We have to be shooting for about one gram per pound of your body weight. If you wanna go over that, you can totally go over that. But there is a ceiling and it doesn't show in the research that there's much benefit to going over that, but there is a massive benefit to getting to about that magic number. Now we can also undereat total calories. Now I know most of us here are concerned with body composition and longevity, and we don't wanna start throwing an extra thousand calories down the hatch because that quickly can turn into extra body fat, and that's not what nobody wants. But if we optimize for muscle building, then we are in a growth phase. We're trying to construct, we're trying to add tissue. Not only are we trying to recover from our workouts to have the energy to go do it again, and we're expending a lot of energy, the cost of actually acquiring that muscle can be quite an intense process. So we wanna provide the adequate fuels. So a small surplus can be really beneficial if you're trying to build muscle. So you'll hear people say like, I'm bulking. And a lot of the times in the bro culture of muscle building, it's, Bulking means I eat whatever I want. I'm just trying to pound as much food in me and build as much weight as possible. And that's not what we want to do here. We want small, sustainable focus on quality again. And when I say a surplus, I'm talking a couple hundred calories, maximum like 500 calories a day. That would be on the aggressive end. So... Getting a couple hundred extra calories in, this is where things like your liquid calories on an animal-based diet can be really useful. You could turn to things like raw milk with a little bit of maple syrup in there. It's quite easy to drink calories if you're maxing out and you're like really feeling like you're eating a lot of food. You don't need to overdo it. You don't need to force feed yourself or anything like that, but you do have to understand that if you start to be in a little phase now where you're optimizing for muscle growth, You need a little bit more resources coming in so you can build that internal resource of muscle going out. So just think about that little bit more food and making sure that that protein number is pretty dialed in. So another huge common mistake is under-recovering. And the main reason that people under-recover is that they don't sleep enough. Sleep is where so much of the magic happens when it's this game of muscle building, recovery, athletic performance, and brain health, and pretty much everything else. We know at this point, that almost all of the good things that actually happen to you from a recovery standpoint happen when you sleep. So you're gonna get varying mileage on this, but there's a reason that the standard advice of eight hours a night exists. And it's because on average, most people are gonna need seven to nine hours a night. And it's easy to go in the middle and say, shoot for eight hours, but you'll know if you can get seven hours and everything else is optimized then those seven hours are quality, cold, that room. EMF free environment. Maybe you've gone deep down the rabbit hole. You're sleeping on organic Egyptian cotton grounded sheets. Amazing. But you might need eight, you might need nine. Um, it's very hard to say what you need in particular, but you're going to be around that zone and you're going to find a sleep that has you waking up refreshed, um, ready to attack the day. And you're paying attention to other subjective markers of your energy your health levels, your vibrancy, how are you recovering in the gym if you're lifting weights, how much muscle soreness is there and is that improving over time, et cetera. But you absolutely have to prioritize recovery because I think a lot of times when we talk about training, people worry about overtraining and I'd be less worried about overtraining and I'd switch your focus to under-recovering. I think your body is incredibly resilient and it can handle a lot of load and volume from a training standpoint, but it is quite easy for people to under-recover. And that's not just sleep, it's also diet, it's also micronutrients, it's also hydration, it's also stress management, it's also your light diet. Are you just inside all day long? Are you never touching your bare feet in the grass? So there's a lot of things that go into recovery. But if there is a kind of king or queen of the castle when it comes to recovery, it's going to be sleep. So don't make the mistake of undersleeping. You can be doing a lot of good stuff in the gym and you can be shaving off hours in your sleep and you'll be really eating into those gains. And then the last but most common mistake when it comes to muscle building is people just generally don't have much of a clue of what they're doing. And this would be called poor programming. You're not following a good programming or your programming is poor or you're kind of just out there in the gym and you're winging it. So now will help you kind of um, deconstruct some of those and give you some of the key concepts to optimize the muscle building. So I've set you up a little bit of why you want some muscle and some of the common mistakes that you can iron out. But now let's actually focus on the act of building muscle because as much as hitting that protein number is important and sleeping well is very important, it's only gonna take you so far. Now we need to get into the work, okay? And this is the program and this is what you actually do, whether this is in the gym, whether it's a CrossFit class with your buddies, whether it's you doing calisthenics in the park, or whether this is you just doing bodyweight movements in your own kitchen. It doesn't matter because the principles apply across the board. And one of the biggest principles is intensity. So before we get into the nuance of the amount of sets and reps and what movements are ideal for you, you have to understand something. The literature can go all over the place when it comes to muscle building. But if something stands out above all else, it's this intensity piece. The stimulus coming in or the stimulus going through the muscle and the nervous system has to be strong enough to initiate growth. It has to be. And that can sometimes be hard to quantify because it's quite subjective. My one rep max is nothing like yours, for example. So we use often a term called rate of perceived exertion, RPE. One, the easiest thing you ever did in your life, 10 complete failure. And ideally, what we're shooting for over the aim of a set of exercises or a workout is to get into this magic zone of seven, eight, nine, and sometimes even going to 10, because the closer you can take that muscle to failure, that's the intensity piece I was talking about. If you, I see this a lot, you know, these. Probably these older gentlemen and ladies that have gone to the doctor and they've got a little bit of a, oh, you know, your blood pressure is high and your cholesterol is not ideal and you should start going to the gym and working out. And even maybe some progressive doctors are saying, you know, go, go lift these weights. It's really good for your brain too. And you watch them in the gym and they'll go to the cable pull-down machine or whatever. And good on them. They're in the gym, they're doing it. But they'll just do three sets of 10 and, you know, they go through the workout and they're doing it. And you can tell that they could do another 100 reps if they wanted to, because they've conned themselves into thinking just because they're doing the movement, they're doing the work. When What I want to see and what I want to feel is I want to feel that intensity. If I don't feel that the weight starts to push back on me and gravity is really taking hold and my reps are slowing down and I'm grinding out those last few in the set, then the intensity wasn't high enough. I wasn't in that 8, 9 out of 10. I want to be approaching or getting close to failure with my workout. So that's the the thing that stands out above all else. If it's not a 7 out of 10 on your own subjective rating scale when you go through a movement, that set doesn't count. You have to be getting in the intent zones that's going to force those adaptations. And then we get into some of the more tactical things like progressive overload and time and attention, all these ways that they, they can sound kind of scurry and confusing if this is new to you. If you've been in gyms, this is you know your bread and butter at this point. But Progressive overload just means that it's progressive. So over time it moves forward and it's overloading. It's overloading the tissue and it's overloading the nervous system. And there's a few ways that we can do this. We can increase the weight. That's the easiest place to start. If you lift 10 pounds on Monday, the next week when you go in on a Monday to do the same set of exercises, you lift 12 and a half pounds. And then the next week, 15 pounds. And then 17.5 after that, and then 20. And on infinitely scaling. Because you're getting stronger during that week off of adaptations because you're doing these exercises and you are progressively overloading. So sometimes if you're only doing body weight, you don't get to add weight, right? You're actually hopefully reducing weight because you're losing some fat in the process, but you can add sets and reps. So the first time you do an exercise, you might do 10 reps of it. The next time you might do 11, the next time 12, you might do three sets. And the next time you do four sets, you basically want to be adding weight and want to be adding intensity every time you work out. That's progressive overload in a nutshell. Now you can do it from adding weight, you can do it from adding reps, you could do it from increasing time under tension. So if a set takes you 30 seconds to complete, or you can slow that set down and take 45 seconds to complete, you've had more time under tension. The muscle has been under load for longer. So ideally, again, in a, in a kind of very scientific lens of looking at this, if you want to optimize muscle growth, you actually want to think about how you construct a full rep. You want to be counting on the eccentric or the lowering phase of the movement for four seconds. So let's say you're at the top of a push-up, right? Your arms are locked out. As you're going down, you don't just wanna flop down to the ground like a wet fish and, and you know shoot yourself back up. You want to go down slow and controlled for four seconds. Then you want to get in the end range of the motion, hold for one. And then you want to come up nice and fast and explosive over one to two seconds. But you see most people just kind of rush through the exercise. And in particular, they rush through that eccentric portion because it's really hard. But again, if you want to optimize here, slow down the eccentric three to four seconds, hold at the bottom one second, fire through and move fast and explosive through the concentric. So you can increase time under tension that way. And the last way to progressively overload is you can reduce your rest periods. So if you're, you know, resting for three to four minutes between each set, as you scroll through social media and look at Instagram or TikTok, you know, take your phone out, um, reduce those rest periods to two minutes, and get after it. And get back under the weight. Um, you're looking for, you know, the sweet spot here when it comes to rest and recovery. So you need progressive overload. You need intensity. And. Taking a scientific lens for my people that really, really want to optimize, you basically want to train up to six days a week and a minimum of three. So that's your mileage here. Anything less than three is going to be hard. Um, You'll get away with this more when you're a novice and when you're a beginner. There's something commonly known as newbie gains in the the weightlifting world. It's astonishing if you've never done any resistance training, bodyweight or with weights how much strength gains and muscle gains you can make early on in your career because your body's getting a very novel stimulus and it's amazing. But if you're relatively well-trained, if you're a decently fit human being, you're gonna be looking to train three to six days a week and your mileage will vary on that depending on your lifestyle and your recovery and all of that stuff. But that three to six range is essentially constructed around what's ideal for hitting each muscle group because in an ideal world, you want to hit each muscle group two to four times a week. So muscle groups would be like legs or the pushers, so chest and shoulders, or your back, which is the pullers, or your abs, et cetera. So you wanna be doing about four to 10 sets per body part, per workout, and you wanna be hitting those two to four times a week. If you're on the extreme end of the scale here and your goal is to get jacked and juicy this year, then you want to be trying to hit, you know, these four, these body parts four times a week and you want to be doing four to 10 sets. That's a lot of volume. Again, though, this isn't just build a little bit of muscle and do some push-ups. This is how to optimize for building muscle. So that's on the higher end of this. And on the minimum end of this, you want to be hitting each muscle group twice a week for a minimum of four sets. So that would mean Let's just take a squat, for example. You want to be squatting at least twice a week for four sets of a variation of that squat on both times. So you'd be looking at eight total sets over the course of the week, building on the backbone of that progressive overload that we just spoke about there. So maybe weeks one through three, that's body weight only. Maybe weeks three through four, you're holding a light kettlebell, for example. But again, above all else, the intensity. The intensity will tell you what you need to know. If it's not hard enough, if you're not rating that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 out of 10, on that rate of perceived exertion scale do it again and make sure you are pushing yourself and scale. There are many, many ways to scale because this audience might potentially have really fit people, you know, deadlifting and doing all kinds of cool stuff to the person that's listening that doesn't even know where to start and doesn't even know whether they can do a push-up. But the wonderful thing is you can scale every single exercise and you can make the most basic exercise really difficult with the appropriate scale and you can still have that intensity. So if you've never done a push-up before, start by leaning on a wall and then you're leaning on a chair and then eventually you'll get to like hands on the ground but you're on your knees and then you're going to be in a full plank position doing a full push-up for example whereas guys that train a lot you're going to be going from the barbell to 185 to 225 to 300 pounds these are the metrics along the way so intensity and consistency and progressive overload over time and as you're following that if you ever reach a point where you completely burn out that's when this deload thing comes in so you take a little bit of time off you, reassess. You might switch up your sets and reps, your volume. You might change up the program. You might move from the barbells to the kettlebells. You might do some calisthenics body weight only for a little bit. You might take a week off and focus on your zone two cardio. You might do all kinds of other stuff. But once you reach a ceiling where you can not continue progressively overloading because you've maxed out, Take off, focus on that recovery, focus on eating good food, focus on nourishing yourself with all the other healthy habits that we have. And then after a week, you're going to be chomping at the bit to get back in there and make those gains again. And above all else, science aside, strategy aside, diet aside, above all else, the number one thing that is going to make the biggest difference in this game of building some muscle, that organ of longevity, protecting yourself for the long run, is consistency. Consistency is everything in this game and by being consistent i guess you won't necessarily guarantee your results but i you will guarantee that you won't have results unless you are consistent so consistency is everything and with that that means we have to find something that we are willing to do not just for a few weeks but for many years and that might change over time but i would focus on What gets you excited to work out? What is fun for you? If it's fun for you, you'll do it. You will look forward to doing it. Something I pivoted into over the last year and I'm having so much fun doing it is CrossFit because I love and I didn't realize how much I loved the group element of it. And I can train and push myself so much harder in that group environment now because I'm around friends and we sweat together and we suffer together and there's a healthy little inbuilt competition. I didn't know that I loved that so much because I didn't know that I was missing it. Now I've found it. I feel like I I, I like this training modality and I'm going to ride that until the wheels fall off and then I'll pivot into something else. But the one thing you won't be consistent in is something you don't like. So be smart. It makes no sense to fight an uphill battle against yourself. If you know that you hate the gym environment and you know the big meatheads with the hoodies up and the you know the booty models in the corner filming the squat workouts and that environment triggers you, then don't go to the gym. You don't have to go to the gym. You could go to the park. You could do this in a different setting. You could start a hot yoga practice. You could do bar or Pilates. There are so many options for you to resistance train. It's not always as simple as it has to be weight. It can be body weight, it can be all manner of other things. It can be mobility, you can sprint, you can focus on all of these other things. So be consistent and the way you're going to be consistent is by keeping this fun. But to summarize, I really do believe in this muscle-centric medicine model. I think the more muscle we can put on our bodies, we're going to enjoy being in our bodies, we're going to have bodies that help us to get up and down off the ground for the long haul, play with our grandkids, hike until we're good and old, lift weights if that's our thing, look good, feel good, and the evidence is emerging and as clear as day right now. The more muscle you can maintain, this healthy muscle, the longer your life will be, the happier and healthier and vibrant you will be as a person, the Sharper and clear, your mind will be, and you'll be protecting everything else because more muscle signals everything else to keep up. You got more muscle to pump our blood to; the heart has to keep up. You got more muscle that you use; the lungs have to keep up. You got more muscle that protects your skeleton and signals to the bone to keep on to that density and stay strong. So, muscle really is the organ of longevity. Make sure you're recovering well, you're training well, you're eating well, you're getting your protein and go get some muscle on that skeleton this year. Protect yourself, and I think your future self will be thanking you for that. So let's go get it, fam. We'll see you next week. Peace out. All right, friends, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps us spread this message of Radical Health. We'll see you next week.